Our text this morning comes from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 9, and I will be reading verses 1 through 41. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Jesus' disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned so that he was born blind, this man or his parents? Jesus answered, neither he nor his parents. This happened so that God's mighty works might be displayed in him. While it is daytime, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said this, he spit in the ground and made mud with saliva and smeared the mud on the man's eyes. Jesus said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went away and washed And when he returned, he could see. The man's neighbors and those who used to see him when he was a beggar said, Isn't this man the one who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is. And others said, No, someone who just looks like him. But the man said, Yes, it is me. And so they asked him, How are you now able to see? He answered, The man they called Jesus made mud. He smeared it in my eyes and he said, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I could see. They asked, where is this man? He replied, I don't know. Then they led the man who had been born blind to the Pharisees. Now Jesus made the mud and smeared it on the man's eyes on the Sabbath day. So the Pharisees asked him how he was able to see. The man told them, he put mud in my eyes, I washed, and now I see. Some Pharisees said, this man isn't from God because he breaks the Sabbath law. And others said, how can a sinner do miraculous signs like these? And so they were divided. Some of the Pharisees questioned the man who had been born blind again. What do you have to say about him since he healed your eyes? He replied, he is a prophet. The Jewish leaders didn't believe the man had been blind and received sight until they called his parents. The Jewish leaders asked him, is this your son? Are you saying he was born blind? How can he now see? His parents answered, we know he is our son. We know he was born blind. But we don't know how he now sees, and we don't know who healed his eyes. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they feared the Jewish authorities. This is because the Jewish authorities had already decided that whoever confessed Jesus to be the Christ would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's old enough. Ask him. Therefore, they called a second time for the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. The man answered, I don't know whether he's a sinner. Here's what I do know. I was blind, and now I see. They questioned him. What did he do to you? How did he heal your eyes? He replied, I already told you, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? They insulted him. You are his disciple. We are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses, but we don't know where this man is from. The man answered, This is incredible. You don't know where he's from, and yet he healed my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. God listens to anyone who is devout and does God's will. No one has ever heard of healing the eyes of someone born blind. If this man was not from God, he could not do this. They responded, you were born completely in sin. How is it that you dare teach us? And then they expelled him. Jesus heard that they had expelled the man born blind. Finding him, Jesus said, do you believe in the human one? He answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. 
And Jesus said, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. Jesus said, I have come into this world to exercise judgment so that those who do not see can see. And those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him and said, surely we aren't blind, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you wouldn't have any sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Just to let you know, I've affectionately titled this sermon, Here's Mud in Your Eye. Anyway, (laughs) this story begins with Jesus and his disciples. And they're walking along one day, and they see a man who was born blind. Now, we don't know how they knew he was born blind. Perhaps he was someone they had seen often. They knew his history. They knew his story. Uh, Perhaps someone told them. We don't really know. What we do know is the disciples look at him, and they make the assumption that many people, in fact, most people, make about people who are sick. Especially in the first century, especially in that day and age, the the physical health of the person was often very, very closely connected in their mind and the minds of the people around them with their relative sinful or sinlessness. Being sick was seen as a curse from God. Being well was seen as a blessing from God. So before we get too down on the disciples, this is a, a common question that perhaps would have been asked among most people. And if not asked out loud, then assumed in their heads, who sinned? This man or his parents. Again, the idea is that the the, the person was so sinful that even in the womb he was sinful. And because of that case and because of that, he was born blind as a curse on God on him. Or his parents were so sinful in either how he was conceived, in their lifestyles, that, that his blindness was actually a curse on them because of their sinfulness. It's fairly binary thinking for these disciples and and perhaps in the wider culture in that particular time about about sickness and health and God's relative blessing on people. And I think if we're honest, though maybe not so much, no, not so much culturally, but, but we tend to think about that sometimes in some ways. The first question I have when something really bad happens to me, and I know better, is to ask, did I do something wrong that God is doing this to me? I've had some of you ask me that question when bad things have happened to you. So I know it's out there, if not widely pervasive. The disciples make the connection, and so they want to know, Jesus, how do we know what happened? They look at the man, not as a a man, as a person, but as somehow affected by the sin of himself or someone else. He is an object lesson for them. So they ask Jesus, Who sinned that this man was born blind? And Jesus' answer, we ought to hear and expect and understand that Jesus' answer is is not common. It's common to us who have read the scriptures, who know John. We know and have read that Jesus says no one. And we know at least intellectually, if not emotionally, in our hearts when bad things happen, that it's really not God punishing me for every bad thing or wrong thing that goes wrong. Certainly we shouldn't blame the sick person for being sick. Or sinful at the very least. Jesus says, neither. 
And, and then he answers and he, and he says something a little strange. He says, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the work of God should be shown in him. Now, most of our translations do that. They connect that neither this man sinned nor his parents, but he was, and born blind is kind of how we put in our own understanding. He was so that God's glory might be shown through him. Now, that is a reading. There is an alternate reading that I just want to propose to you and put out there. For it's unclear in the syntax how that exactly should work, if that is connected with what comes before or comes after. So so just an an alternate reading for you to consider and think about, and we'll see how, where it goes. But we can read it this way. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, period. But that the work of God should be shown in him, we must work the work of God while it is daylight. Right? So instead of putting it with what what is before, it's what is after. So God's glory is shown as Jesus and his disciples do the works of God while it is day. I'm putting that out there as a possible explanation. Instead of just making this man an object lesson, God struck him blind so that God could be glorified in him. That is perhaps, that is a way of reading it. And that is an understanding of God, how it works. God is the cause of absolutely everything. But I like that second reading, just giving you my preference. That this idea that Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. and, and, And that's not the point. The point is, we must do the works of God while it is day, so that God might be glorified in him. For me, it's a setup. Jesus is setting up what's going to go on. That whatever is going to happen in this man, God is going to be glorified because these are the works of God. If you recall what happens when John the Baptist asks via his disciples if Jesus is the Messiah, he says, go and tell what you have seen and heard, the blind see, the deaf hear, right? These are the works of God. These are the signs of the inbreaking kingdom of God. These are the signs of the reign of God in the midst of the people. So, so whatever the case and however we read this, we can read it as God is going to be glorified in what Jesus does because he is doing the works of God. And so as a follow-up to that particular statement, Jesus does something somewhat strange and gross, if I may say so. I mean, show of hands, who, who would want anyone to receive healing this way, right? We, we want to receive healing however Jesus wants to, but it's, it's out there, right? Because Jesus spits in the dirt, which is not sanitary on its face, and he picks it up, and he makes mud with his hands, which is unusual, perhaps, and then he just sticks it in the man's eyes. Have you ever had mud in your eye? Not comfortable. If you rub mud in the eyes of someone who can see what's going to happen, they won't see much longer. Jesus is not without a sense of irony. But Jesus does this. He makes this salve out of the dust of the ground. And his spit, perhaps we think of God creating there. Maybe that's what's going on. He sticks it in the man's eyes and then says, now go and wash. Now that I've put mud in your eye, go wash it out at the pool of Siloam. Siloam is a place in Jerusalem. It means scent. It's the pool of the scent one, interestingly enough. 
Again, all sorts of bells should be going off in our heads as we're reading this. Wait, the sent one is sending the guy to wash in the pool of the sent one, right? But, but it's kind of funny. Jesus does this. He, he, he could have just said, see, right? We, he's done that before. He could have touched, he, he could have, whatever, you know, one time in Mark, it says that he he's partially heals a guy and the guy sees trees walking around, the people look like trees, and then Jesus does it again and it works. But all sorts of ways Jesus could have done this, but he does it this way. And so the man goes off and Jesus and his disciples go their separate ways. But presumably someone led the man to the pool of Siloam, but he makes his way there. He washes his face in the waters. And guess what happens? He can see. He washes that mud off of his eyes and it washes something else away because now this person who could not see, who was born without sight, is now able to see. That must have been trippy for him. All the things you didn't know, now they're here. Oh, that's what I call the tree, whatever, right? Crazy. And he's happy and he's rejoicing, no doubt. But guess what? He doesn't know who did this for him. He, he heard the voice. Perhaps someone had said a name. This guy named Jesus did this for you or Jesus is coming by. But, but he doesn't know who Jesus is. He wouldn't recognize him from Adam. He was blind, Remember? And so he does what any of us would do. He goes home and, and he's happy, right? He was begging because he could not make money for himself. And he goes home and, and he's excited and happy and goes to see his neighbors. Hey, remember me? And they're all like, do we know you? And he's like, no, it's me. I, I don't know what his name was. We can call him MBB because man born blind. He's like, it's me, MBV, right? I was born blind, but now I see you. Put me to work. I want to do something. I can finally do something. And they look at him and go, I don't believe you. Some people are amazed at what's going on. There's like, oh, that was the guy who used to beg. He, he was out there begging. And the other guy, people say, eh, maybe. Maybe he just looks like him. It's an imposter. Think about this for a moment. What has happened in this man's life is so out of the ordinary, so new, so unique, so just out of the frame of reference of the people who know him and have seen him that they would rather say, no, he just looks like the guy than say, oh, he was healed. It is easier for them to think imposter, which is strange. Like, why would anyone do that? than it is for them to believe that he was healed, that it's him. Call it skepticism, call it just out of frame of reference. It's hard to incorporate new and unusual information into our scheme of belief. They don't believe it. And they argue about it. Imagine being this guy. You're MEB. You've been healed. You're exciting. You want to show yourself to everyone because they didn't see you. They saw you as some guy who was born blind, and they still don't really see him. They don't recognize what has happened. They don't incorporate him back into the community. They're like, yeah, we're not sure who you are. We ought to ask the Pharisees. <laughs> that escalated quickly. This argument that, that took place among his neighbors, I won't call them friends because they don't believe him. They say, well, we should probably ask the Pharisees about this. Why ask the Pharisees? Like, 
Is it really him? Are they... Well, here's part of the problem. The day that Jesus chose to do this healing was the Sabbath day. And you weren't supposed to do things like this on the Sabbath day. I don't think you were supposed to make mud on the Sabbath day, and you weren't supposed to heal on the Sabbath day. So while the local argument was about whether it's him, it escalates because they're like, well, if it is him, then someone did something they weren't supposed to do on the Sabbath day. So instead of saying, glory be to God, he was blind, but now he sees, let's celebrate, let's have a party, Jesus done something, Jesus must be a something of a person from God, they say, well, it happened on the Sabbath, so there's something amiss. In my mind, I can't can't guarantee this is what the the text is saying, but in my mind, they're tattling on Jesus, right? The man is healed, and so they tattle on the guy who did it. It's not an unusual theme in John, by the way. Um, Jesus heals a paralytic, and he goes and tells on Jesus, too. And so the Pharisees begin to question the man who was born blind. And they don't buy his story, at least not all of them. Again, I don't want to lump all the Pharisees into one group here, right? We don't want to hear Pharisees all bad. Because some of them believed, right? They, they took the evidence that they had been given. This was a man who was born blind. Some guy spit in the dirt, put it in his eyes. He washed, now he's able to see, right? They took it on face value. They believed what Jesus had done, and they didn't get all mixed up in the, oh, it was on the Sabbath. They said, well, God did something, and, and we may not like when, but God did it, so who are we to argue? But the other half did not take that tactic. The other half said, no, nah, can't have happened. It can't have done this. They asked the man to explain, he said it, but, but they're divided about whether this is really the man who was born blind. These guys who don't know him are now making judgments on whether he is he. I mean, it's crazy. And they don't want to believe that he is a man born blind because they don't want to be able to incorporate this new information into their system of belief that somehow maybe God did do healing through this person, Jesus, on the Sabbath day. That was just too far out for them. It's too far out of their points of reference, of their belief, of their understanding, because they had it figured out. This is how God acts. God doesn't act outside of that. There's some pretty good evidence for God doesn't do that kind of stuff on the Sabbath day through people. Right? God said some pretty specific stuff about the Sabbath day. They they have reason to believe this. But they're having trouble incorporating this new information into that system of belief. So it's easier for them to say, no, he's faking it. Right? We're getting punked. I don't know, whatever it might be. Than it is for them to say, no, God's doing something that we didn't expect in this person. Good people don't heal on the Sabbath, is what some of them were thinking. So he must be from the devil, right? Bad people cannot heal. How's this working? And, and, and so they're just, they're in argument, they're upset. And, and so they come back to the man and they say, well, what do you say about him? And the man just simply thinks he must be a prophet. He is from God. He is anointed by God. What else could he be? 
but still some won't believe. They're, they're disrupted by this. They're, they're, they're out of sorts by this. They have to get to the bottom of this because they just, they can't say he was healed. They can't get there. Or they don't want to get there. Could be both. And so here's what they do. I mean, the ultimate indignity. We don't believe you. Let's go ask his parents, right? And, and so they're questioning the guy and they say, we don't believe you. And so they say, well, let's bring in his parents. And they say, do you recognize this guy? <laughs> My goodness, that must be hard. And the parents look at them and say, that's our son. Our son was born blind. Now he can see. We don't know who did it and we don't know how it happened. There you go. Ask him. He can answer for himself. I mean, honestly, I think that's a great way for a parent to ask. Like, if you have an adult child and they do something, well, that's on them. Talk to them, right? That's, what am I going to say? He's of age, ask him. In short, they just sort of, we don't know what's going on. But then we find out some crucial information that the parents know that anyone who has expressed any sort of faith in Jesus Christ will be kicked out of the synagogue. The synagogue in Jewish life being the center of Jewish life. It's not a small thing. To be kicked out of the synagogue is to be cut off from your social and your spiritual and oftentimes your familiar, familial connections. They're scared of what might happen. They might have opinions on this. We don't hear them. They don't express them because, quite frankly, they don't want to be removed from the synagogue. He's of age. Ask him, they say. I mean, good. That's an adult thing to do. But <laughs> but that's their son, they have said. He was born blind, they have said. He has been healed, they have said. And so what happens next? Everyone believes we all go home, thanks be to God. Well, no. They're still divided. They're still uncertain. They still have trouble incorporating this thing into their system of belief. It's just not enough evidence. So they call the man back. I mean, this poor guy, right? Yesterday was blind, wonderful to be healed. Now he's like facing the Grand Inquisition. And so they say to him, they don't question him as much as they say, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. They've escalated, they've taken it up a notch. Not, not only can this man not be from God, but he must be a sinner because he does things that God says you shouldn't do on the Sabbath day. He healed. When they say give glory to God, they basically mean like, it's something like swear in the Bible, Right? Tell us it's true. Testify to this particular fact. This man who said he's a prophet, now they're saying, no, give glory to God and admit that he is a sinner. And the man says, I can't do that. Why in the world would I do that? Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know, right? He's, the man is great. He, ignorance, that's good. He doesn't know who it is. He doesn't know Jesus. 
He hasn't met Jesus. He hasn't talked to Jesus more than just that brief interaction. He says, I don't know if he's a sinner, but he healed me. And God doesn't listen to sinners. I was blind, but now I'm seeing. What else can we say? And then, okay, that's his testimony. And so they come back because they have to get to the bottom of it. And I understand this. I like to get to the bottom of things. If there's a question out there, I like to know the answer no matter how trivial it is. Say, okay, well, tell us again how we did this, right? Maybe we can find a loophole. Maybe we can find something else like the, where, where somebody, like God slipped in, in between what this evil guy was. I don't know what they're looking for. And the man born blind is pretty frustrated with it too. I told you and you didn't believe. Why in the world would me telling you again produce belief in you? And then he asked them, do you want to be his disciples as well? And there's two ways of looking at that. John doesn't give us indication which one it is, right? Again, I'll give you my preference for what it's worth, right? It could be that he's like serious. Like they keep asking me, maybe they do want to be his disciples and they're just trying to find a good way to do it. My mind, and perhaps this is a little, I don't know, indicative of my personality, is like he's frustrated with them and he just wants to go to them a little bit, right? I told you, you don't believe. Why do you want to be his disciples as well, right? I don't know which one it is, and it doesn't matter because they don't like it, right? It says they insult him which is not good for leaders to do to people. They insult him and say, you're his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses, right? Nice default, nice holier than thou attitude. Again, we can blame them for that, but we've been there. We're disciples of Moses. We have the traditions. We understand. We get it. You were born entirely in sin, they say to him, right? Remember that first question, who sinned this man or his parents? (laughs) Jesus said, neither. The Pharisees say, you sinned. You were born entirely of sin. And so was this man. He is not from God. And the man's not having it. If you notice, like what this man says about Jesus gets more and more correct, the more and more he is resisted. You notice that as we read this, right? Some guy spit in my eye and I can see. That's how it started. He must be a prophet. And now we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. No one has heard from the beginning that that anyone has opened the eyes of a person born blind. The blind man says, crazy. We can see his faith developing in this 41 verses from ignorance to he's from God to this is clearly someone God listens to faithful, right? Devoted. We'll get to the end in just a second. But this also galvanizes his opposition. You were born entirely in sin. Get out. It says they expelled him. Right? They kicked him out the door for sure. But I think it's important for us to read. They didn't just kick him out the door. This is expelled him from the synagogue. 
This man who was born blind, who never was a full participant in his community. For that's what blindness was. He was a beggar. Outcast on the outskirts. Right? Jesus heals him and he finds, I can be restored, right? I can now be a back, a part of a full community. He will experience and wants to experience for the first time in his life, because he was born blind, what it means to be a full participant in the community of God. And what happens? The community who claims to represent God kicks him out and says, everything you've experienced, that's not God, that's Satan. Everything he's been taught has said that what he's experienced is from God. And he's willing because, quite frankly, he's coming from ignorance. He doesn't know any better. All the signs point to God, and so he says it must be God. those who kick him out have a different experience. They've come to the situation knowing better and believing God would not do it, especially not in this way through that person. We know better. And so what we have come to understand is the work of God in the midst of the people of God, they call a curse. And the man who, who could have found Inclusion and part of the community of the people of God for the first time in his life is now kicked out. Not because he has done something wicked or someone has done something wicked for him, but that God has worked in his life. This is an aside, but my brothers and sisters, this should not be. It's not how it should work. And I want to say it is not limited to the first century. It happens here now where the people of God who claim to represent God sometimes will call what God is doing wicked because we know better or think we do. So here's the man born blind on his own wandering the streets. This is my mental picture anyway. But Jesus hears and Jesus knows. And so Jesus goes and finds him. A man may not recognize Jesus, but Jesus recognizes him. A man may never have seen Jesus, but Jesus saw him in all the ways that are important. And Jesus comes up and he says, hey, friend. No preamble, no introduction. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man has had a profound experience with God and wants to believe in the one whom God has sent. He says, man, I was blind yesterday. I want to believe, but I don't know who he is. And what does Jesus say? It's me. Hi, the one who's speaking to you, that's me. I am the son of man. Now, I don't know if the man born blind hears the voice and recognizes it. Or if, having been blind physically and enjoying the common condition of humanity being blind spiritually, his eyes are opened. 
but he recognizes Jesus for who Jesus is then and there. He has been coming to believe since Jesus opened his eyes. He believed something about Jesus already. Prophet. Oh, he must be from God. God doesn't listen to sinners. He must be devoted to God, too. The one who did this is the Son of Man. And what happens next is he bows and worships Jesus. This is important. You bow and you worship God and God alone. John's trying to tell us something here. The man has gone from physically blind and spiritually blind to seeing in every way possible and in all the ways that are most important. From beggar at the side of the road to follower of Jesus, part of the whole and complete people of God. And so Jesus sends him on his way. And then Jesus, I don't know if he says this to himself or the man born blind or a crowd that's there. He says, I have come so that the blind will see and those who see will be blind. And the poor Pharisees, we have some Pharisees there. And I'm not trying to pick on them. But there's some Pharisees there, and they, they, they come up to Jesus. And I don't know if it's in sincerity or not, but they say, surely we aren't blind, are we? Surely we understand, don't we? Right? They want to be on the end. They want to be those who see. And Jesus says something interesting to them. He said that if you were blind, you would not have sin. But since you say, now I see... Your sin remains. End of scene. I've thought about this a lot, not just this last couple of weeks as I've been preparing for this sermon, but I've thought about this a lot over my lifetime. First time I, I remember the first time I preached on this text was in seminary. I remember writing a sermon on it. Probably wasn't very good. But it's, that in part has stuck with me. And it, it's like a sticker in my brain that I just can't get rid of, you know? It's like a tickling hair. What does Jesus mean here? Right? If you admitted you were blind, your sins would be forgiven, or you would not be in sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. And as I take this passage and this scripture as a whole, you, you see it in, there's just like two different ways. The people who ought to know better are the ones who refuse to see, and the ones who are ignorant are the ones who truly perceive. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't learn the scriptures, don't know about Jesus, don't read your Bible, don't study the Bible. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying don't go to school. I'm not saying don't go and learn about Jesus in school, right? I mean, I have some invested in that. I did seven years of education about Jesus and about the scriptures and about the Bible. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying either. What I think Jesus is saying is it's those who are willing to see and to hear and to learn about what God is doing perhaps to hold their beliefs, at least some of them, loosely. 
Those are the ones whom God can work with. But if we think we see, if we think we understand, if we think we know exactly how God works, when God works, who God works through, we close ourselves off to the redemptive work of God in our world. We call what is good evil and perhaps what is evil good. Though it's not the only thing this text is saying, I think this is a deep, deep call for the humility of the people of God. A people who oftentimes think we have it all figured out. Think we know how God is going to work, how, when God is going to work, where God is work, going to work. And are immediately skeptical if we see something outside of that scheme. Now we ought to test everything. That's what we've been told to do. There's a difference between testing and just being obtuse and obstinate in our disbelief. I think what the folks who are named as Pharisees here demonstrate is the people of God who say, this is the way God works, and I am unable and unwilling to see God work outside of that. They had good reason for thinking God works in these particular ways. They had good reason of saying, we want to make sure that we are calling what is good, good, and what is evil, evil. Right? I'm not down on that for them. But when God broke out of that, they said, no, you, God can't do that. That's not how it works. We don't know what's going on with this sighted thing, but this isn't from God because God doesn't heal on the Sabbath day or God doesn't use people to heal on the Sabbath day if that's the case. They were so sure of how God worked, when God worked, and through whom God worked that they missed God's work. In fact, they missed God's full, final, complete redemption work in Jesus Christ. And I think we're rather silly if we just say it's the Pharisees, because that's not true. Pharisees are just a name put to this group of people, among whom we might find ourselves sometimes, unwilling to believe God is able to do beyond the boxes that we have placed around him. However good, however well-researched those boxes might be. To claim we see is to say we understand it all. But that's not humility. And that's not opening ourselves to the work of God in places we might not expect, in people we might not expect, and among in times we might not expect. Those who are, dare I say, like a child, willing to be open to the move and to the work of God outside of what we think it ought to be. That's where God wants us to be. Not willfully ignorant, that's not what I'm saying. But willfully open to the move and to the work of God and holding loosely to the things we think we know are true. If not all of them, then certainly some of them. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to be humble enough to say, I don't have it figured out? And mean it. I don't have it figured out. I'm willing to say that to all of you. Now, whether my discussions like 
with you. I actually mean it. That's a different story, but I do admit that. But I think that's where Jesus wants us to be. Again, not just willy-nilly open to anything that could go on out there, but at least holding loosely to those areas where we say God can't work there. That's, that's what these folks in this text did. We know God does not do this on the Sabbath. No one from God we know would do this on the Sabbath day. And in so doing, they missed what God was doing on the Sabbath day. In so doing, they potentially, at least in one way, closed themselves off to the redemptive work of God in history through Jesus Christ. I understand that's a tension that we must hold. Because we should believe some things and hold them very, very dearly. Right? Redemption of Jesus Christ, the sinfulness of humanity, we, we have some. We, we ought to. Right? So, so I'm not saying get rid of those. But all those other things that we have built around, we ought to at least be willing to allow God to upset that apple cart. As we discern that with one another, as we search the scriptures. But to be humble enough to say, we don't know everything about God and about the way God has chosen to work in our world. We've got a great pattern in Jesus. But sometimes God breaks down walls that we are not expecting God to break down. And so as we come to the season of Lent, why we celebrate and observe the season of Lent is at the very least to be humble before God and say, God, I think I know what's going on and I think I know what you're doing, but I can't pretend to know everything about who you are and what you are doing. So, Lord, help me to be open to genuine works that you are doing in and around and through the community around me that I may not miss a move of your spirit. But it's a both end. May I be open, but, Lord, may I only follow that which is from you and you alone. In short, is to say we're blind because we're human. And we have the limitations of our kind. I don't see everything and I don't know everything. And I couldn't possibly begin to see everything and know anything, everything about God. And to humble myself before God and say, Lord, open my eyes that I may see who you are and what you are doing in our world. So with that in mind, I'd like to have us close in a time of prayer and of music together. To ask God that God might keep us humble as to what we think we know. That we might see and know his work and his activity in the world around us.
through Jesus Christ. The song we're going to sing is a, is a newer song. You may know it. You may not know it. Um, but I would just encourage you to use this time in prayer and in openness. Lord, help me to see. Show me all the ways in which I have been blind. Open my eyes that I may see who you are and what you are doing in our world.